PFT Media. You are now listening to Cinema Crespo Diso. Chris Crespo Radio Show. Everybody likes it. Listen to his shit. About to write, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 431 of Cinema Crespediso. I am your host, Chris Crespo. How are you doing today? Nice to see you guys. Come on in. Uh, you know, it's cozy in here. We're, we're, we're hiding out from the weather. You can see them? I can see them. We're all together, Drew, both That's... in spirit, mind, soul, and maybe uh, metaphysically. That's really crazy. It's the blanket theory, Drew. That's Drew Cogman, our co-host, Drew Cogman. You know how you it's can't like tell we're where all my connected. nose ends and air begins. Exactly. We don't know where your foot ends and my butthole begins. Whoa! That, that's our Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> chiming in. How you doing, Jesus? Uh, sorry for all the blasphemy recently. We'll try I don't, to tone I, it down a I bit. I don't apologize. Drew does not apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm back up just a bit here <laughs> in case the smiting has residual smitification. Uh, have you ever been so close to someone being smited that you have, like, second-degree smite burns? Smite burns? Yeah. Someone gets smoten from the wrath of God mm-hmm. and by your just like dint of being nearby you're like whoa I feel slightly smitten no I mean if anybody's gonna be smote by uh, the Christian God it's probably gonna be me so that's true you'd be the direct uh, uh, target of the smitening I mean I should be it's like uh, it's the smitening McLeod mm-hmm. yes yeah. we're gonna cut you off your head mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna get smitten then you're gonna be smitten I'm a Spaniard what uh guys i don't know why you you are all dicking around about all this smiting shit when we have to talk about so much stuff so uh we're gonna move on now into the movie review section of the show uh more just some overall media diet thing because uh it's a bummer that while movie theaters are open uh, studios are still reluctant to put stuff out mm-hmm. because the audiences aren't exactly there just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's still a couple weeks until the next new movie, which I believe is Mortal Kombat. I looked at, I almost went and saw that we've talked about on the show before, Drew. That Tom Holland Daisy Ridley movie Chaos Walking. Oh yeah, yeah. Where where he's got weird stuff coming out of his head. Yeah, because uh, she can like understand the thoughts of man and she's in a society where there's only men or something. She's the only woman. And, uh, it was a hundred million dollar production tested poorly. They reshot a bunch of it still tested poorly. They put it out. It's completely bombing. It's the stuff legends are made of drew. And I almost want to see it, but I don't know. That's like two hours of my life. Yeah, it is. And then there's another bad sci-fi movie that came out called Voyagers. 
that's uh, equally bombing. I think it's also Lionsgate. I don't know what's going on out there, guys. So we didn't go see any new movies, but uh, I did see a couple film festival movies. It's the Florida Film Fest, mm-hmm. 30th annual. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my 11th year covering since 2010, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Didn't I haven't realized it's been, you know, Jesus Christ. And I saw two movies that are completely different from each other, but both have ties to Florida. One is a documentary called Cultivating the Wild, and it's actually, from, from what I did a little research online, looks like it was developed by um, a sort of community television or almost public television uh, group in South Carolina. Okay. And it's all about this guy, William Bartram, who wrote a book called Travels that came out in 1791. Okay. And it's about him uh, traveling through... Uh, the South for like 20, 30 years and doing like a Teddy Roosevelt style, documenting everything, the nature that he sees, doing amazing um, hand-drawn uh, depiction depictions of, of fauna in Florida, et cetera, et cetera, right? His observations. Mm-hmm. A real nature lover, conservationist, conservationist of his day. And then he published a book called Travels and it's considered one of the first pieces of like real American literature to, to come out because of its timing and everything. 1790s. Yeah, yeah. So, they take this book and the regions it covers, and it picks six Southerners, because it's all about in the South, which mm-hmm. so includes Floridians. Six Southerners, and it goes over... Uh, it's a nature documentary, but it's also about these people, <coughs> but it's very, like, lackadaisical about it. It's not, you know, it's loose in the way it all comes together. There's voiceover of the book um, as they jump from... They start with one person, then they go to the next. It's like a guy who's a painter who who paints landscapes. Um, and it actually, the, the, maybe the coolest part of the movie is this guy who paints landscapes, but he goes out with a fire crew that does like you know when they actually set stuff aflame. Yeah. Uh, to like controlled burn mm-hmm. that type of thing. He goes out there with them, and then he he is painting like while the fire is like ten feet away from him. He's, she's in there in, doing That's fire painter. He's a fire painter, and. It, at the end, you see the paint's like, whoa, this guy's really good. Huh? Super talented guy. Uh, you got that. You got a, a bird watcher guy in Georgia. You got a dude who, like, manages the manatee refuge over in the Blue Springs over here. Mm-hmm. You got, uh, was it those birds, manatees? It was, and there's a few other things. Now it's, in the moment, it's escaping me. It's not bad. It's made for TV also. I found that after the fact. When I was watching it, first movie of the day, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, it was like weirdly, it felt low budget. The opening credits right away it was like this feels cheap in yeah. a, in a way. And then I look online, I was like, oh, it's made it's made for TV. It's not meant to be seen in a theater. Uh, it's weird that it is, but it still worked in yeah. a way. It was still pretty good. It's also not that long. It's like seventy minutes or something. Uh, it's definitely good enough for what it is. And drive you wild. I ain't gonna tell people to run out and watch this movie. But if you're like into nature stuff and nice, nice photography, it's a nice movie. It's about nature, but it also gets into like pollution and stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're ruining all this. <laughs> that type of shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other movie I saw is called The Old Ways. Drew Chicago. OK. Uh, this one is a horror film, I guess. Straight up, straight up supernatural horror. Uh, L.A. journalist. Goes back to her. Mexican hometown where she left when she was very, very young. So she doesn't even speak Spanish. That's how disconnected she is from her culture, right? Mm-hmm. She goes to Mexico to, to I think, just for research on her 
on those old on this old culture so she ran an article uh she has an estranged sister there who she, who she meets up with uh she asked about a cave la boca is the cave right okay. don't do not go to this cave they say stay away from the cave so what does a journalist do go straight to the cave i'm going to this cave straight to the cave straight to the cave uh she gets uh kidnapped by a witch doctor and her assistant who then inform her oh uh, you went to that cave you got a demon in you we got to get this out cool and she's demons. like and she's like this, yeah that's her that's her reaction Drew. cool demons <laughs> like what the fuck you have kidnapped me get me out of this place so the movie is about her getting this demon out of her you know she's a non-believer so it has to make she has to become a believer in order to confront the demon right and uh so you know me it's not my type of movie yeah, no. you know i see really. i like the exorcist mm-hmm. i think the conjuring is okay uh i'm not going out of my way though to see these type of supernatural possession movies and uh, but this one was made pretty well actually it's got good style good uh good mood to it like it like the atmosphere is pretty pretty thick pretty okay. intense it obviously is a little low budget so some of the cg is like uh maybe you could, instead of cg smoke i know they, they there's things where they have like uh Things are personified by smoke, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like a CG smoke that moves. Maybe you could have found a way. I don't know. It's it, it's hard to, to do things on such a low budget sometimes when you, when you compare them to other movies that have greater resources. But yeah. the story is pretty cool. I liked how it resolved. I kind of saw it coming, uh, especially when you get some of the marketing materials. Like, oh, I can see where this movie is going. And, and it goes there. But it's so pretty fun and cool. Mm-hmm. And, and when this thing eventually, it should pop up on something like Shudder or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's actually going to be worth checking out. I think people will enjoy it. The old ways. Okay. Juice Cogburn. Even you. It's like if... Like, we don't do this anymore. That's the problem, Drew. I was going to say, like, if you were scrolling through, if you were just uh, flipping through TV, mm-hmm. through cable, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, oh, look, The Old Ways is on FX, you know, or on HBO. Let me watch it. But that's that's like so 10 years ago. Yeah, maybe even longer. Yeah, now it's like, oh, maybe if it's on like Netflix and you're scrolling and it's like, mm-hmm. and, oh, the old ways, I've heard of this one. It might be worth clicking on and giving it a watch. It's that type of thing. Also, uh, for people like me, snake alert. There's a, a couple scenes with snakes. No, thank you. Mm, you and your snakes. Uh, man, they're not. And, and and it's effective because they those snakes grossed me out. I also watched a bunch of short films. Okay. Short films hard to talk about because it's not like I ever expect people to see these things. Yeah. Uh, but there's before the cultivating the wild one. There was one called Florida Woman, okay. and sort of in response, they even said it's a Florida man. Yeah, Florida man meme. Here's a Florida woman, someone who took in s- some uh, alligators that were like very abused uh, from, uh, I guess even from uh, being a baby. Four alligators that were put inside a closet, what? Uh, no light in a, in a shitty little tank. You know, with a little bit of water, not allowed to grow. By the time they actually got him out, one of its snouties was like curled up really short and its bottom jaw was sticking out way further than it. They were all fucked up. Mm. Being in the dark, they had light sensitivity. The sunlight would blister their skin. They're alligators. The sunlight would kill them. Uh, So they couldn't put them in a sanctuary and they couldn't put them in the wild. So they're like, we have to put these down. This lady who grew up with wildlife, her dad had alligators. She was also a former professional wrestler going back to like the 60s. Um... She is like, oh, I can, 
Like, give, let me give it a shot. They're going to die anyway. Let me mm-hmm. let me give it a shot and see if I can help them live. And she helped them. Like, the, she t- she took care of them. And uh, she, she was down to one of them, essentially, because three of them ended up dying from sun exposure. Uh, but she has one of them called Rambo. And then uh, she, it's like a totally cute little alligator. She kisses them with little kisses on the lips. And it wears, like, shirts and jeans and stuff to protect it from the sun. <laughs> And it's totally docile and chill. and um, But then, of course, you know, big garbage. Florida Wa- uh, FWC, Florida Wildlife Commission, wants to take it away. So she's fighting the state and all that. And so it becomes about that. It's like a 20-minute short film about this woman and her... It's about her and the alligator. Fight to save a disabled alligator. Exactly. But then also, it's partially, partially about stories then getting picked up in the media and how like the original story the guy like hung out with the lady for a few hours where they got to know her and got to know the story but then when it got picked up and went quote viral uh it just became crazy florida woman fights for her gator pet and no Mm -hmm. one had any compassion for any of it and it was just like well obviously she's ignorant she's from florida so it shows how the, the the media cycle is too fast for empathy and for nuance and subtlety Mm -hmm. and then um and then also it's sort of about uh, the state or stepping their bounds like there's a lot going on in just 20 minutes but it's pretty good i gotta say that of all the short films i've seen so far that was probably the best one i've seen some good international shorts too uh from like france and germany and should they they put together a good international uh short film program and people can check these well florida residents can check them out yeah. online or i guess people to vpn uh, yeah. i don't know honestly i don't know how the internet works wink <laughs> wink wink i ain't trying to get people dick people have any money you know what i'm saying those are uh the florida film fest things that i watched so far it literally just started i'll be talking about it for the next couple episodes um i watched one other movie that's new to me but it's an old movie mm-hmm. it's called the package okay get this movie drew 1989 goes hand in hand with our our brand new episode on robot jocks okay which just came out on patreon.com slash so people can check that out today that's right all right i found my soundboard and um cold war end of the cold war it's about the end peace treaties going down everyone's getting together berlin reunification all that shit right is it berlin now split mm-hmm. and thank you and um gene hackman has to transport a package. The package being uh, an army officer who won't stop punching his superiors. That person is played by Tommy Lee Jones. Okay. Okay. Uh, He loses him along the way. Turns out Gene Hackman has just fallen ass backwards into a big political conspiracy to possibly start World War III to keep the military-industrial complex going. Maybe, possibly. So, uh, it's got an amazing cast. Uh, Gene Hackman's running around with Joanna Cassidy, who is the uh, the lady Rubikin who gets shot in the back in the first Blade Runner. Okay, and uh, so he that's like the one two combo for most of the movie. Pam Greer shows up in like three scenes as the old agency friend, getting them info on Tom Lee Jones's character. Um, John Hurd, the father from uh, Home Alone, he's like the uh, like the big higher up military guy. You're like, what's up with this guy? You know. Um, it's got a really good cast. The um, Major League. Remember Major League, the movie? Yeah. The re- older relief pitcher that had all the goop and gunk that he used on his balls. So the guy who, he, he drank the rum and then got hit in the head okay, with the hair and yeah. bat. He was like, oh, yours, Joe Boo, and he drank his rum. Chelsea Ross, that guy's name. He uh, He's in the movie. The movie is directed by Andrew Davis, who did The Fugitive 
fucking Academy Award winning, at least nominated The Fugitive, um, Under Siege, Steven Seagal's uh, uh, highest budget mm-hmm. film, also Seagal's first movie, Hard to Kill, and maybe the best Chuck Norris movie, got, uh, Code of Silence. Interesting career. The guy's a good director, man. <laughs> He's, he was a good director. I don't know. He hasn't made a good movie in a while. So anyway, I watched the package. It's on HBO Max, and it's, it's fun. It, it's not great, but it was it was cool to see the, all these actors and uh, this fucking Cold War shit. That's like it's so passe now. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the Cold War is out in the open. It ain't about nuclear weapons. It's about uh, information and and disinformation and that kind of shit. It's so different. And the China virus and the China virus, the Kung Flu, baby. No. Gotta watch out for that. You gotta watch out for that China Paris. So those are the movies that I watch. I also watch some series stuff. But did you watch any movies? Uh, or I watched, did you watch any series? Stuff? I watched Promising Young Woman. Yes! Let's talk about Promising Young Woman. Because it was on uh, Redbox. So it was super cheap. All right. Was that two bucks? Dollar eighty. yeah. Fuck yeah. All right. So let's, let's hear Drew's review. It was good. Yeah. It was, yeah. 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 It was right. good. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's uh-huh. it. That's Drew's review. <laughs> uh, seriously, though. No, I mean, every time, every time uh, I saw another guy... In the movie, I was like, okay, so what's his weird, creepy thing that's going on exactly. here? Exactly. Within 20 minutes. And then, like, all right, who, so it, how is he a scumbag? Well, no, exactly. And then when Bo Burnham showed up, I was like, oh, Bo's going to be a, the worst scumbag of them all. <laughs> the most complicit. He must be because he's the nicest. Yeah. Great casting. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like people like him fucking McLovin yeah. all these guys that are like trafficking and like oh look at me I'm a nice guy that's their career yeah. and then subverting that for this movie yeah. it's pretty smart being super scummers same with um, Alison Brie yeah because yeah. mm-hmm. she's another one who's like yeah she's mostly a very nice like you're rooting for her mm-hmm. characters and then this one she's like what a fucking yeah, what, a cut. what a fucking <laughs> bitch this, how dare she mm-hmm. how dare she sisterhood sisterhood sister come on lock thereof um, yeah, it's, uh, what did you think of, um, like, do you think it's sat- satirical enough or biting enough? Do you feel like it went there too far, not far enough? I mean, how'd you, how'd you feel I when th- it was over? Like, obviously no spoilers. I mean, it, it, def- it, it, it felt, I mean, I get that it was satire, but at the same time, like, that could easily be, like, sure. a worst case reality scenario. Yeah, absolutely. That could, like, it still happened. Yeah. Yeah, maybe satire is not even the right word because it is maybe too believable. Yeah, black comedy, definitely black comedy. That's what I'm looking for. Hundred percent. Yeah, in yeah. ways for sure. Mm-hmm. But then when it gets sad, it's like oh, like when she finds out, you're like oh. But then you know too. You're like, of course, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's the point of the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saw it coming. It's called Promising Woman. It could also be called uh, All Guys Suck. I mean that could also and yes. could also be called uh, it takes it takes a village to. Uphold the patriarchy. <laughs> yes. All those things. Right? Yeah. Because you got, even, what's her name? Uh, well, she's played sort of tougher characters. Connie Britton. The, uh, she was the, the working at the school. The dean. The, the dean. Yeah, yeah. She, her scene was really good, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. They had, like, really good casting. Because some people are just, like, in only one or two scenes. So they got to nail it, you yeah. know? And they do. It, like, at the end, uh, Al Monroe and th- all those characters, they're only in just a couple scenes, but what has that? What happens at the end? You gotta like be there with them. So yeah. those guys really, it's good. It's good all around. It I, was. I enjoyed it. Yeah. You think it has any shot of winning any sort of awards? This is a preview I mean, of might, our Oscar I, episode. I, I I get why it's up for a bunch of stuff. I get why it was nominated. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan's um, up, and I could see it winning. I mean, could win some, could win some stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it's already it's already a paper thin year. And it's of all the nominees, it's weirdly one of the more hopeful 
movie. No, sort of. <laughs> sort of. I don't know. Yeah, it's sorry. Good, you went. You saw it on a red box. You yep. thought it was worth the red box. Yeah, rental? definitely, that, definitely worth the two dollars. I mean, that includes not just the two dollars, but you got to take the disc back to the red box. Yeah, uh huh, it's worth it. Okay, okay, good to know. Good to know. Well, so yeah, bunch of series after that. All right, uh, yeah, let's hear your series, and we'll go to mine. So I watched uh, the Q Into the Storm yes. documentary, uh, six episodes, one hour each on HBO Max. Uh, Cromella reviewed this, I think, last week on. Uh, in the Cinema Crespo so Facebook group, join a, you know, f- uh, delete your Facebook account. But if you're not going to do that, join a Facebook group where uh, all our listeners contribute really awesomely like that. So uh, he, he, I remember, recall him liking it. And I also saw on Twitter, I think Scott the Spot also reviewed it and liked it. Yeah, it was good. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's on par with uh, that Nexium one that I watched. Yes. So it's just like they, they, you keep wanting to watch the next episode. Like after an episode ends, you're just like, I gotta see what happened fucking next. They ended, it, they ended in a way it'd be like, and then this happens. And yeah. you're like, what? Well, that ends. just good series making. I, I only knew like a little bit about the Q stuff. I knew the main points. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I haven't dove too deep. Na- into now it. I've got a deeper understanding, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, I, I have the entire timeline. And at the end of the documentary, you, for all intents and purposes, you know who Q is. Yeah. Or you know who the. The last Q was, because there's still debate on whether the first Q was actually like yeah. a real person yeah, yeah, yeah. with actual insight and things of that nature as opposed to when it got taken and that's hijacked. all that's all it takes for his conspiracy shit to work just yeah. a little a nugget hint of, of a hint of maybe and then all of a sudden you're talking about harvesting adrenochrome yes it's crazy i mean that's a, but that's the way it goes i mean if that's what it takes for me to get my Fear and loathing moment. Listen, I just want to so grow big, six, hairy tits on my back. And the way to do it, apparently, <laughs> is with adrenochrome. That's according to... Or did I get that wrong? Maybe I maybe I misread that part of the movie. I should rewatch it. Is that directly from the book? It must be from the book. Uh, so it's good stuff. Recommend. Definitely. It sounds yeah, like... All super right. fascinating. Guys, check it out. Into the queue. Learn more about your enemy. As as Zach de la Roca said, uh, know your enemy. Oh, that's a different song. It's a wrong song. Uh, and then on uh, Amazon Prime, uh, they do, like, every month, they give you, like, try this from this. Sure. Uh, from PBS. Uh, it was uh, Mark Twain, Ken Burns documentary. Ooh, a Ken Burns, Mark Twain. So so you just had, what, you had 22 hours to spare? To- uh, no, I, I, I had... <laughs> I had two 110-minute sessions to spare, yes. Oh, okay. All right. So, so it's not one of his epic ones. Yeah, I only okay. had four hours. Oh, okay. But it was split up into two. Oh, so it's a mini Ken Burns. Yes. I got you. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. Mark, is it called Mark Twain? Just called yeah, Mark Twain? Just, just Mark Twain. Ken Burns, Mark Twain. Yeah, maybe, and, it's, like that. Yeah, and it's uh, free on Prime this month. So once uh, April's over, you'll have to pay PBS money for it, I and, guess. And you are a Twain fan. Yeah. For sure. Of course. Uh, Mr. Samuel Clemens. Uh-huh. Uh, did you, did you four hours? I mean, you must have like learned some some stuff, right? I mean, Obviously. I learned more about his personal life and his family life. Like, I I knew the main points of his literary career, mm-hmm. having read a bunch of his books, and sure. doing biographies on him when I was younger, yeah, and stuff like that. He's so. a, a great choice, a popular choice for biographies amongst kids. Yeah, right. I definitely did one on Arnold Schwarzenegger when I was a child. Why not? <laughs> Who like, cares? Did, like, did you know he grew up in Austria? <laughs> Yeah, you stupid American kid. There's other worlds out there, mm-hmm. other cities. Um, is it? It's obviously the Ken Burns style, right? Yeah. Where so, it's, uh, well, basically, the the way it worked, voiceover slow. The, the first half of of it was the rise of 
Mark Twain. Yeah. And then the second half was the fall and the redemption. Because at one point in time, the motherfucker was bankrupt. All right. As any good artist should be at at a certain point. Even successful artists, at some point, he should be bankrupt. I... Well, he, he, he it's important just, in the artist's journey. He he just overspent. Hell yeah, That's yeah, all. exactly. You got, I what, mean, in the middle of the 1800s, he was. I ain't trying to make money at, to save it. At a certain point in time, like he was spending when the I think what they, they said when the average American was making like fifteen thousand dollars a year, yeah. he was spending thirty thousand dollars a month. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love that excess. He's balling. Good for him. Good for him. He's just putting money. Back into the community is what he's doing. He's a philanthropist. Now people just hog their money and don't spend it. And uh, and, and now look at us. Patreon.com slash Um, All right. Ken Burns, Mark Twain. Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Very cool. We're, we're doing pretty good this week with, with, uh, with the viewing options. I'm liking it. What else we got? That was it. Okay. I watched. Uh, I forgot to talk about it last week. So I'll lump it together this week. Episodes three and four. Of uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. How many episodes are going to be in the season? Um, thirty-two. I have no idea. Probably nine, nine to ten, maybe. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know when to start. I, I need to know when I when I should start well, watching. Why don't so you go? Why don't you go ahead and, and Google it real quick? Because I, tr- I already tried doing that earlier today. No, there was no specific answer. It's, a, it's only every, April, and Loki doesn't start till June, so maybe another five episodes? Maybe every th- nine episodes total? Every th- everything was like, there are four episodes. And I'm like... There are four episodes yeah. now. Yeah, thank you, you idiots. I'm telling you, the internet is getting worse. It is. It's getting worse. I used to be able to find information much more easily. The, um... The mood of it is pretty good uh, in terms of, like, keeping up with the... Captain America Winter Soldier political oh, thriller type okay. stuff. Well, apparently, according to Wikipedia, uh, it will run for six episodes until April 23rd. Okay, so there's two eps left. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I guess we are getting in sort of to... Um, we're getting to a big change for our new Captain America, John Walker. I'm wondering if they are going to go U.S. agent. It's interesting um, how that's going to happen. That'll, that'll almost feel like a just straight up villain turn. Was U.S. Agent a villain, or was he just a replacement that uh, didn't work out well? Replacement that didn't work out well that turned into, like, an anti-hero? Doing his, doing his own weird thing? Like, Punisher-type guy? Mm-hmm. Well, they, they set up this guy pretty interesting so far. By the end of the fourth episode, it's got a good cliffhanger at the end of episode four. That for sure, like... Uh, yeah, wait for the next episode to start at least. Get to five before you decide to start watching. Because when episode four ends, you're going to want to pick up the next one right away. No. Like, oh, shit, here we go. Like, finally, finally, we got some shit going on. Um, also, it seems like uh, interesting. They bring up some characters. Um, I don't want to say who exactly what, because you're not watching yet. But, uh, oh, I, that, but, but, dude, but that, that but, shit's all over the fucking internet. I already know. You already know that death is a thing in the show. That, pe- that a character dies. And it's like, what? You just introduced the character, now it dies. I feel like, wow, look, they're really introducing a lot of new characters. What? You just killed this guy? In a Marvel thing? Marvel, they don't kill no one in Marvel things. I mean, uh, I mean, not the major characters, but your B and C characters, oh, you can go away. I guess so. But, uh, man, even in a in a world where a blip happens, yeah, it's like, damn, dead? All right. Sorry, Asgard. Uh, it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I'm liking it. I'm not, like, 
oh, it's Friday. I can't wait to sit down and watch this shit. But uh, you know what? You know, it's actually, to be honest, you know, um, if I didn't have the show, I may not feel as compelled to watch it. I feel like I want to watch the show so I can talk about it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have the podcast, maybe I would maybe wait to binge watch, it. Yeah. Or maybe I wouldn't be watching it at all. You know, But because I am doing it this way, it, it's good. It's good. I'm digging it. I'm not crazy for it. Um feeling about the same as I am with WandaVision. Like, yeah. Like, well, no, like this is I'm, cool. I'm enjoying it. WandaVision was cool. And uh, as a whole, like the scope of it was way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it ended up being like, oh, interesting. But at the same time, like I'm sure there was like a shorter way you could have told that story. <laughs> yes. <that's, laughs> there's always a shorter way. There's always a better way for sure. Um, Drew Chicago. Crespo. Mm-hmm. I started watching, I did earlier this week, um, Corporate Time with Tom and Dan. My first time talking to those guys in like six months. Okay. And Daniel Dennis started talking about Invincible on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, I know that just came out. It's on my radar. And he was like, oh, they dropped the first three episodes right away. Yeah, they did. And I did not know that. Uh-huh. I was going to, that was one I was choosing to let build a little bit. Well, there's like five or six episodes now. Now they're on episode six. Yeah. So I went ahead. But I think there was like nine. Total. Coming up, yeah, I think so. That sounds about so, right. So once again, I'll, I'm waiting to binge. Well, uh, I started watching. I watched the first three episodes now after uh, he mentioned it on that show, and yes, 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 the yeah. show is some good shit, man. Uh, it makes sense too. Early two thousands, Robert Kirkman. It's like the same time when. Watchmen was still like underground cool. No yeah. one knew about Watchmen, so deconstructing superheroes was still like new and daring and interesting. And they really found a cool way to do it. And I understand, so I listen to a lot of um I listen to a lot of comedy bang bang and how did this get made? And uh so I'm hearing a lot of um Scott's Aukerman and Jason Manzukis. Manzukis, Jersey Cogburn voices a character on the show. Ooh. Uh, I, I, there was one scene where I was like, wait a second. That was, I, like, wait I, I a know second. that voice. I know that fucking voice. Um, these guys, when, especially when they're on shows, episodes together uh, of Comedy Bang Bang, they almost always bring up Invincible. They That's how I've known about this show from Comedy LA Podcast. Yeah. Talk about how much they've enjoyed it, uh, reading it over the years. So uh, now that I'm seeing the origins of it and how it's all set up and everything, I'm like, wow, I get it. And then by the end of the first episode, I'm like, oh, this is not for kids. No. Like, no. Whoa. 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 I was like, whoa. I was not ready for it. I was ready for it to be like R-rated, but I was not ready for what they were going to do. Things got fucked at the end of the first episode. sure. And then from there, it just gets crazier. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's Robert Kirkman, so. It's good. It's really good. I'm really enjoying it. And it's also... Rogan and Goldberg, uh, uh, exec producing, and um, they're also working on the live action version and stuff. Steve Yoon is the the lead guy. Oh. Um, J.K. Simmons is his dad. Omni Man, like great voice acting all around. I'm really really into it. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Invincible. I'm looking forward to watching it. So there we go. That's a, that's your media diet, and we did pretty good because we're about halfway half hour in. And we're going to need the time for the second half of the show, Drew. Cause okay. Because we, we have like four emails to read. We do. And I have a shit ton of stories, including some fascinating articles about how Hollywood sucks. And you know how I love those stories. Oh, yeah. So, guys, I found my soundboard. And we are going to move into the break with a brand new Billy D's Death at the Movies. 
we have his reviews of Psycho Gorman. All right. And Zack Snyder's Justice League. All right. Very cool. And this is the Billy Dee's cut of the Billy Dee's Death in the Movies. So it's extra long. By that, I mean it's an extra, uh, I don't know, 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> he, he keeps it economical. He knows what he's doing. All right, guys. Here you go. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with a second half of the show. A few movies, take a few notes. Billy D's Death at the Movies. What's up, my dudes? Woof. I just realized I am so far behind on cataloging my hundo on Twitter. I have a couple weeks coming up this summer where I'll be able to unleash the fury. But for now, I'd like to get some words in about Psycho Goreman, Steve Kostansky's follow-up to The Void, which I loved. I've been hype on PG for a minute, ever since I read it described as an R-rated Amblin movie which has been my dream for a long time, and Psycho Gorman delivers mostly on that premise. It's more on the turbo kid end of the spectrum with its quirks, and, and unlike The Void, a lot of PG happens in broad daylight, so there are more than a few scenes that come off as a little Power Ranger-y. Honestly, I did not care about any of its shortcomings. This movie is a blast from start to finish. Mimi and Luke are siblings, and Mimi, despite being younger and smaller than her brother, is the alpha and kind of an asshole, and I loved this character. She basically one day was like, princesses are for little girls, I'm a barbarian queen, get fucked. And this little girl essentially is given dominion over a godlike alien that she accidentally resurrects in the backyard. Once this alien warlord is introduced, the kids name him Psycho Gorman and treat him like a pet until cosmic bounty hunters show up. This movie is perfect for a Saturday morning wake and bake session or some drinks with friends. I've heard some people dislike the Mimi character, but I think Nita Josie Hanna knocked it out of the park. She's got all the attitude of the 80s punks in The Return of the Living Dead, and I love it. Oh yeah, and I have to mention, this movie is very sticky. Lots of cartoonish splatter gore. Absolutely check out Psycho Gorman as soon as possible. And now for the review no one really wanted, but you all saw coming. Zack Snyder's Justice League. That sure was different. Was it better? Yeah. Does it make it great? No. Did it fix some of the problems? Yes. All of them? No. Is this the film we would have seen in 2017? Not at all. And I have to say that again. This is not Justice League as it existed in 2016 before we even got involved. This is a mountain of footage, some new footage, and the knowledge of what the reaction to the weeding cut was taking the lead. Even now, Warner Brothers couldn't help themselves, got some notes in, and Snyder still got two different endings and releases out of this. I find now my interest in the Snyder cut has always been more academic than genuine interest in what could have been. When seeing this trilogy in the years since 2017, I think of how jarring the tonal shift is, and my only hope for a Snyder cut was that it would at least even that out that there would be a tonal continuity. I was not prepared for an entirely different film with plenty of great moments, but still a lot of the issues that carried over from previous films and cuts. I think that this is a super interesting anomaly and you could learn a lot from filmmaking just by studying these two cuts side by side, which I've started to do. And it's fascinating to see what works and what doesn't. For instance, in the Whedon cut, I actually like some of the Elfman flourishes in the score, Fuck me, right? Maybe I'll make my own cut one day, which is kind of a weird way to say that even this cut of the film could have been three hours or under. 
The fans asked to drink from the Snyder hose, and this is what they got. I also wish I could celebrate this as some great victory for the fans, but I sorta hate the Snyderverse fandom. Not all of them, but some of the very vocal ones really ruin it for me. Ultimately, whether or not this happened boiled down to a spreadsheet where someone thought they could make more money from this than they lost. And by all accounts, it sounds like they did. So, yay capitalism? I guess that's who always wins this fight? So will they reinstate the Snyderverse? I sorta hope not. But it'll come down to, can this make more money than it's already lost? I bet there will be a theatrical release of the Snyder Cuts as versions we've never seen later this year. And so based on how those perform, I can see some version of the Snyderverse moving forward. But until then, I guess, stay cool, Billy D. What is up, motherfuckers? We doing it, bitches. Me, MC Chet Hanks, bringing you to. Now nah, I'm, I'm mixing my voices. I was trying to do a <laughs> Chet Hanks, but I sort of went into a bit of a Warner Herzog almost. That was bad. That's that's what happens when you hit record and start talking without thinking about what you're actually gonna do. And instead, we are going to take this second half and we're going to attack it with thoughtfulness. See, I'm not even doing that right. Thoughtfulness, purpose. It's gonna be great. I'm looking forward to it. Drew Zakai was looking at me like you're such an idiot. Because you, <laughs> you are. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure everybody already knows that. I mean, that's why they listen. Or the few who listen do listen. That's I why am. they want to hear this. They, they want to hear you being the lovable idiot. Don't ask me why is it I'm digging your scene. Thank you, Lady Raps. Like, we appreciate it. Uh, you can email us, cinemacrespediso at gmail.com, and we will read it on the show uh, just like this got an email from Mr. Josh Jewell what's up Josh let's hear it what is your favorite director comma worst film how do you feel about mega companies such as Amazon buying up film such as Last Night and other indie films and calling it an Amazon Studios film despite having little to no involvement during production Mm. how long until you think we get a TikTok Horror film. So three questions. So I guess what's okay, your favorite? Is... What's your favorite director's worst film? I actually loved all three of these questions. Um, my fa- one of my favorite directors is David Fincher, and his worst film is either going to be Alien Three, or now the other one is up for debate. It's like the some people really don't like Panic Room. Some people don't care for Benjamin Button. Some people don't care for Dragon Tattoo. Boy, oh boy. Who, do you have a favorite director, Drew? I don't know if I have necessarily a favorite director. I have favorites, obviously. I mean, I don't really have a favorite. I have favorites. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're, film, we're film bros, right? We're typical yeah. film bros. We like Nolan. We like Fincher. We like all these idiots. Well, right? yeah, but I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Ridley Scott. Uh, and he's got, he's got stickers. He's got some stickers. Absolutely. I, li- I like Taika Waititi as a director. I like um, Neo Blomkamp and like Elysium. A lot of his movies actually leave something. Every movie that he's made except for District 9 is like, there's something missing from all these movies. No. He only has one like fully realized film. No. Um, I mean, Darren Aronofsky. Oh, boy. He has some that are so close to being brilliant, but they're just right there. Uh, boy, Martin Scorsese's New York, New York is a famous thinker. 
It's an absolute famous turd of a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was ripped on drugs and he's trying to make this big ode to both old school filmmaking. Because you know, you know him. He loves old movies. And New York, Liza Minnelli, Robert De Niro. Everyone was fucked up. It, it was bad news. Maybe not De Niro. Uh, it was three hours long. No one asked for a three hour. I mean, come on. What the fuck, De Niro? Uh, Scorsese. It almost, the movie almost killed him. Um, but then the song itself, New York, New York, New yeah. right? It was written for that movie. Movie was a bomb. Deliza Minnelli recording of that song did not go well. Frank Sinatra needed a hit in his. He was late in his career. He, he found it. He calls up Liza. He calls up her people. Can I use this song? Can I license it? Do my own recording? He said, "Sure, go ahead." Fucking made that song a gigantic hit, way bigger than the movie ever was. It's one of those things where people don't realize it's from a movie. Mm-hmm. A bad movie. I tried. I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe I get, should give it another rewatch. Uh, yeah, man. People just sometimes they, they they take a swing and a miss. Stanley, I like it. I like it. Stanley Kubrick's uh, Barry Lyndon was nominated for Razzies. Quote nominated for mm-hmm. Razzies. Actually, didn't win Razzies. Some people don't like it because it's like one of those things where n- nothing happens, mm-hmm. but everything happens if you know what you're looking at. I'm unplugging this thing. It's unplugged. It's, oh, it's over. No more. You hear that? You guys heard that? That's me unplugging the soundboards. Soundboards not for the rest of the episode. All right. So how, how do you feel about the, the mega companies such as Amazon buying up all these independent films and calling them Amazon Studios? That bugs the fuck out of me. I love this question because I see it all the time. Yeah, people buy up a movie. I mean, it's done. It's over. It's a, it's 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 finished. And then Netflix buys it and they call it a Netflix original. Yeah. Go go. Fuck yourself, Netflix. Yeah, it's well, not same, a Netflix I mean, original. Amazon does the same thing. A hundred percent. They all do it. Unless they produce it, unless they have any sort of skin in the game from the beginning, they can't call it uh, one of their own original. They can call it an exclusive, maybe. Words matter, yeah. right? I feel like if you call it an original, that means you originated it. If you call it an exclusive, that means you exclusively have it. So if someone else makes it and then you buy it, they should go ahead and call it. This is a Netflix exclusive, an Amazon again, exclusive. I mean, they, they bought it to distribute it. Right. W- without them, the movie doesn't get seen by anybody. But sometimes they're, it's, they're part of a bidding war. So it's not like they would need them. For example, Coming to America, that's a Paramount film. Amazon has nothing to do with the making of that movie. Mm. All they did was ensure that Paramount got their money back. So can they then call it an Amazon Studios film? I mean, and I'm sure their logo pops up at the beginning of the movie. It 100% does, and it looks weird when I see it, man. When it says, like, they're flying over Zamunda, and then it says in the Coming to America font, an Amazon original film. Like, man, but it's not, though. It's a Paramount movie. It's weird. It's weird. Um... Words matter, but they also don't matter. Uh, the universe will experience eventual heat death. The sun's going to explode. All this will be wiped away. Well, the solar system, the universe itself, cold death after everything due, due to the infinite expansion. Thank you for the correction. I appreciate yeah. it. Really what it is is the video game system just aging out and then dying. It's like we're, we're on Xbox uh, 720 or whatever, and it's at the end of its life is what's happening. Okay. There. And how long until you think we get a TikTok horror film? Soon. TikTok's mega popular. I, I'll i give you an extra prediction. It will be produced by Tamir Bekmambatov, the uh, the guy who did Wanted. Not, yeah, Wanted. Uh, what was the Russian movie? Night Night, Night Watch and Day Watch. Remember those yeah, movies? Uh-huh. 
he has found late career life, second career resurgence. They're called screen life movies. Okay. And it's these um, heads up displays where the whole movie is the, the, your, this, it all takes place on a monitor screen. It's someone doing video calls and stuff like that. The best example being that John Cho movie, Searching. Have you seen that yet? No. I recommend watching it, man. Yeah, they're going to hit you with, with an up-style opening that's going to be like, we're going we're gonna to devastate you with a tale of a family broken. And then um, they, it's an effective thriller. It's really well done. It's surprisingly well done. And Tamir Bekmambatov has produced a whole bunch of these. What was that one with Elijah Wood? What was that one called? Oh, I forgot. Uh, he just directed one that's set to come out pretty soon. I could see him taking the next step and make, making some sort of uh, social media, even TikTok specific directly. Like, yes, I can do this. I can, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It'll happen. But when, Chris? Uh, within two years. And it's going to be bad. Okay. Three predictions. Mirbek Memetov, within two years, it's going to be bad. There you go. All right. Thanks, thanks for the question, Josh. I appreciate it. We got an email from Scott. What up, Scott? I must express my deepest thanks to you guys for the Patreon episode dedicated to Robot Jocks. Yes, Robot Jocks. <clears throat> I was first introduced to this incredible film by my older brothers when I was about 11 years old. I'm pretty sure they rented it from Blockbuster and illegally dubbed over their own VHS copy. Yes, because it Perfect. was always in our house, and damn it if it wasn't our one of our favorite movies growing up. Yeah. I hadn't rewatched it since those teenage years until today. Wow, what a glorious hunk of shit. <laughs> it's so bad, but that sweet nostalgia blinds me to any of its faults. I fucking love this awful movie. And now, a favor to ask. Because you, y'all got me way up in my feels and reminiscing, I'd like to humbly request a rewatch of another movie inspired by my brother's collection of pirated VHS tapes. All right. The Blood of Heroes from 1990. Mm-hmm. Rutger Hauer, Don Chen, Delroy Lindo, and a very young Vincent D'Onofrio. Judging, jugging is the sport of the future. Probably juggling, maybe? It says J-U-G-G. Jugging. Could it be jugging? I have no idea. I have a feeling you already know, but if you don't, it's free on Prime right now. Come on, please take care, guys, Scott. Blood of the Heroes? I have not heard of this movie. Have you heard of it? Uh, Scott, you a loyal fan and a, and, a, and a long-time patron, part of the Canonical Five. Uh, only only the, the true listeners know what that even means. Um, you 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 asked for it. You got it, buddy. That's what we do on our Crespedizo Patreon. When when our patrons ask us to do specific episodes, we'll do them. We've done them for our homeboy, Ron. Uh, that reminds me, Ron wanted us to do the HBO series Infinity Train. Okay. Which uh, I, I looked up yeah, what that it was. That was on Cartoon Network. On Cartoon, was it on Cartoon Network? Have you seen it? No, I've seen the previews for it, though. It's, uh, it, it's it, it looks interesting. Yeah, let's give it a, let's, we're going to give that a go for Ron, because he asked us to. And, Scott, this is one of these movies. This one slipped by my radar from, what, 1990? I would have been eight years old. Yeah. It, it, this one went by. I, have, I do not know about this. You know what it reminds me of? Have you ever seen, Drew, the Rutger Hauer movie Blind Fury? And Joan Chen. Yeah, that makes sense that Joan Chen would be in this because it's right around Twin Peaks. The blood of heroes. The time will come when winning is everything. Drew, we're going to have to do this movie. We're going to have to watch this movie and do a review on it. Now, Scott, uh, both Drew and I haven't, we have no nostalgia for it. So you heard it in the Robot Jocks episode. 
Ro- like you, Scott, Robot Jocks for me was a film of my childhood. For Drew, it it meant nothing. So for me, it was a pleasure to revisit. For Drew, it seemed kind of torturous. And the and the the international poster. Oh, let me see the international poster. Whoa, this movie looks fucking. Twenty two hundred zig zig cow. The Blood of Heroes. That actually says 1989. Wow, Drew. Okay, we're, so we're going to do The Blood of Heroes for you, Scott. We'll do it on the Patreon.com slash so for sure. That looks awesome. Uh, but be, be prepared for us to kind of shit on it because we have no nostalgia for it whatsoever. So we're going to see it with 2021 eyes. This is going to be fun. Have you ever seen Blind Fury where Rutger Hauer plays a blind swordsman? I don't think so. Man, so this is a movie that totally evaded me my youth, and I only watch it in recent years, and it's fucking insane but for some people this is like a childhood do you have you seen the movie the wraith the one where christopher christopher charlie sheen is a is like a ghostly apparition driving a crazy future car i guess against a bunch of uh hoods out in the desert that's another one it's an 80s movie that for some people are like this is like the best 80s movie ever and for me i saw it in my 30s for the first time, oh. so see, it's like this movie is not good. Yeah, but no. people love it, and I get why. You no. know, stylish or whatever. So we'll do Blood of Heroes for you, Scott. We'll do it, buddy, and we'll do Infinity Train for Ron, and uh, and we hope we do it justice for you guys because we appreciate you so much. Patreon.com/slash Crestbody. So sign up today. Thanks for the email, Scott. What else we got? I think we got some from Gabe. I think I accidentally just deleted an email. <laughs> Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Great. No, never mind. All right, got an email from Gabe. 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 Uh, so, in making the Oscar Deso ballot for a straight third year, I noticed something. Every year, the number of nominees doesn't change, meaning there will be five nominees up for Best Picture the last year. There will be... Sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, Drew's phone's making some crazy. There will be five this year. Literally, a couple of categories added one. I can't remember them right now, but this is generally consistent throughout all categories for the past three years. Also, weirdly, Keith Stanfield got nominated for Supporting Actor... Isn't he the lead? Yeah. The movie starts with and follows him. I think Daniel Kaluuya should win for it, but I worry about split votes. Yeah, 100%. Um, all good questions. Uh, so for the Academy, the only category that can have more than five nominations is Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And they expanded that the year after The Dark Knight. The whole argument being that a lot of people thought The Dark Knight should have been nominated for Best Picture because every time any comic book movie is slightly commercially successful, all its fans are like, well, this is the best movie of the year. Give it all the Oscars, right? No. It happened. That's so obnoxious. And um, because The Dark Knight wasn't nominated, people were like, well, was the Academy out of touch? Wouldn't, wouldn't having more pop, quote, popular films in... As included as nominees, would that make the Oscars more popular, get more people to watch the awards show every year? So they expanded the possible list of Best Picture nominees to 10. Um, since they've done that, there has maybe been one or two years where all 10 slots have been filled. Usually it's right around eight. I think this year it's like eight. Um, other than that, no other category will be more than five. And some of the other, the lower categories, like maybe visual effects or sound, maybe some of those will have less than five, like three. 
Um, but five is like the magic number for every category except for, for best picture. So, uh, other question about the, um, yeah, that one question about splitting votes yeah. and why is Lakeith Stanfield? That's weird, Drew. For best supporting actor, Judas and the Messiah, Daniel Kaluuya is nominated and so is Lakeith Stanfield for supporting actor. One of those guys is for sure the lead. Pretty sure it's the Judas, right? Judas and the Black Messiah. You would think. So that'd be Lakeith Sanfield. So if he was nominated for anything, it should be Best Actor. But they're both nominated for Best Supporting Actor. That's strange. Daniel Kaluuya won for um, the Screen Actors Guild. Okay. Just like a week ago. So he's probably going to win at the Oscars. Uh, so that sucks for a Stanfield. But that guy's so talented. He'll... He's uh he's the lead voice in some Netflix anime that's coming out so- soon. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to watch it just because of that. Just because of him, right? <laughs> he's so good. I'm a, such a fan of like, Keith Sanfield. Uh, he'll he'll get his due down the road. I, I do maybe feel like maybe you can look at it as him being looked over for best actor. Maybe you could look at him as him sneaking in there and still getting nominated, even though it's technically the wrong category for him, possibly. Um, it's weird. It's a weird situation. Then he, so he had another question there in the middle, right? They had a question about the amount of nominees and then about them splitting. Yeah. Was that it? I think so. Okay. Thanks, Gabe. We appreciate it. Man. And we got another email from Gabe. Oh, Gabe's back. Gabe's back. He's got reviews hey. of stuff that he's watched. My Gabe is back and he's better than ever. Uh, Bad Trip on Netflix. Yes, I love this movie. So funny. A couple of great liners. Uh, my favorite was the army recruiter. I will admit it starts to oh yeah, <laughs> <coughs> it starts to tamper down at the end. But you got to see it if you have Netflix. It's very much in line with the Eric Andre show humor. People are responding very strongly to this movie. Makes me think, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm mean, uh, positively okay. in, a, in a positive way, and it makes me think that if uh, it was a quote normal market, we're dealing with pandemic shit fallout. Uh, it would have been a hit movie. Like, it would have, from word of mouth, it would have done very well yeah. for everyone involved. It's good. It would have been worth seeing in a theater with other people. I'm Comedies normally are. Yeah, especially ones that, like, oh, man, this one, it's the shit that happened to this movie is fucking, so it's wild. Uh, I read a quick interview where he uh, apparently had cut out, they had to cut, they didn't have to, but they chose to cut out a scene where he's in a haunted, a quote, haunted motel. Okay. So they bring in a priest to um, exercise Eric Andre. So he pretends to be sick and they had a bunch of physical effects set up in the room. So it's this priest is, he's the one who's getting like got. Yeah. And uh, so Eric Andre, like he levitates, the, the walls bleed, cockroaches come out of a painting and the priest gets a little rail to be like, uh, like, help me with the exorcism. So Lil Rel's like, by the power of Christ, get the fuck out of my friend. <laughs> and the priest would be like, that, that's great, that's great, but don't curse, don't curse. So the whole joke would be like, he keeps yeah. cursing as he's trying to help uh-huh. the priest. It sounds super, super funny. It does. But, uh, so hopefully we'll get to see it one day as a deleted scene in some yeah. sort of way. But uh, anyway. Oh, I, the director's cut. Yeah. yeah the director's <laughs> The uh the Andre verse restored the Andre verse. Uh, it's worth it's worth watching. People check out Bad Trip if you haven't seen it yet. It's really funny. Uh, Nomadland. Yes. Uh, you can very much tell some of these are not real actors, but very real stories. Kind of cool after watching Bad Trip because it's half scripted, half freestyle. That's true. Yeah. I think it's very strong to win for cinematography or directing, but I gotta give Minari a slight nudge. 
Francis McDormand is out here giving a titan and a legend. Masterclass, pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, she's uh, sneakily a fantastic actor. She's almost like a working woman's Meryl Streep sort of thing. Less flashy in a way where yeah. she's like so reliable and so good in everything she does. Uh, no male and also very good. I think that's available now on Hulu for people to to check out. If you if you don't have Hulu, you fucking up because it's like free for everybody. Yeah, just <laughs> they're, giving, <laughs> they're giving that shit away. Um, no man land, good stuff. Okay, yeah, Gabe. Um, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Invincible on Amazon Prime. Yes, let's talk about it. Three episodes. It's an adult graphic Justice League clone that kind of reminds me of One Punch Man. The cast has huge names. The animation is pretty good. Yeah. A uh, fun watch if you're looking for an animated series. The voices, tone, and pace sell fun. Yeah. All that's all that's true. Okay. Uh, the it's, it's all true. We yeah. I already talked about Invincible earlier, so yeah, you guys, uh, you guys got my opinion on it. Mighty Ducks Game Changers on D+. With Emilio Estevez. The first episode is a lot and very forced. No organic or logical reason for expanding this franchise, so I don't know if I'll finish the season. Emilio Estevez looks great. I thought he was kind of handsome for a young guy, but now he's looking more and more like his father. Yeah, he is. I, I think <laughs> uh, this thing is reaching into the nostalgia bag with a modern facelift. Meh. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's man. 100. percent I'm sure it's man. But he does look like his fucking dad. It's, yeah. It's awesome. Uh huh. Better than looking like his brother, who's kind of you know, looking a little ghoulish. That's for sure. Uh, Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier on D plus. I think it's just the Falcon and the Captain Falcon. <laughs> okay, I see what you're doing. Uh, episode two is better than one. Odd with. The Winter Soldier name, because Bucky seems a changed man in his buddy cop series. Yeah. Although his Winter Soldiery stuff hangs over him, an obvious stinger at the end, but you kind of see it coming. Side note, they keep mentioning Wizards and Doctor Strange. Do you think he's going to show up in this one? Also, they hmm. uh, will they make mention of Wanda? Find out on the next Falcon and Winter Soldier. They've been teasing uh, behind the scenes or social media some sort of cameo that people wouldn't be expecting. Episode 3 is pretty good. Love the costumes, love the action. Seems sure, like see. the pace is building, and I like it. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's good. And they are tying into some of the movies in a pretty in a pretty cool way that, does, that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, if Marvel's good for anything, it's connecting its MCU. That's true. They've figured out how to do that. Especially with Kevin Feige being like, he finally got everyone out of the way. He's like, all right, now I'm in charge of all this shit. No more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., no more uh, uh, Ike Perlmuter. I'm in charge here. Um, yeah, that's all good. That's all all good points. Gabe, Gabe knows what's up. Gabe always knows what's up, right? Appreciate it, buddy. Uh, that's it for the emails. Yes. All right, guys. You made good use of the emails this week. I appreciate it. Let's get into some news. We've got half an hour here to talk about all this shit. Paramount making a bunch of moves. Paramount, one of the few, even though they have the Paramount app that they've debuted this year, they've chosen not to go the HBO Max route of propping up the app with their very expensive movies. Mm-hmm. Instead, trying to get these movies in theaters so they can uh, make a little bit of their money back, right? Um, so we have things moving. Starting with Tom Cruise movies. Tom Cruise has been in bed with Paramount for fucking like two decades now. Mm-hmm. Maybe no longer. When was Mission Impossible? 94, 95? Yeah. Um, they've essentially uh, pushed everything back. So we have Mission Impossible, 
will now be coming out May 2022. Okay, so a whole year. Mission Impossible 8 pushed to July 2023. Ooh. As opposed to come out in November yeah. of 2022. That got pushed almost half a year. Um, Top Gun Maverick was supposed to come out in July, November 19. Okay. So essentially, Top Gun got... Is taking Mission Impossible yeah. slot, and Mission Impossible is getting is getting pushed forward. Um, but Paramount has a bunch of other movies. Okay, so Jackass Four will now be released in October. Man, who asked for that? Someone at Paramount. Did. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville, maybe. He's like, come on, I got a mortgage. They're so old. I know it's a bit of a bummer, right? I hope it's not a bummer watching it. I want to see the movie. I'm also hoping it's not going to be a bummer. Like, look at these old men. Uh, hurting themselves. Hurting themselves. Oh, he broke his hip. But then on top of that, though, I am of the mind that if people want to injure themselves for our entertainment, I mean, who am I to say I no? Mean, I'm not going to tell them to stop. If baseball players want to juice themselves up with steroids and HGH and get giant Barry Bonds heads, By all means. I want to see some goddamn dingers. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah, let them... If wrestlers want to fuck themselves up and, and, and then kill their families Wolverine style, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm fine with it. If football players want to smash their heads together uh, repetitively week to week for our entertainment and then go home and kill a doctor's family of five and their grandchildren, I'm fine with it. Okay, cool. At least we know where you stand now. <laughs> I want it, it's clear. I want it to be yeah. clear. Uh-huh. Okay, it's clear. Good. Excellent. Um... Okay, let's see what else we got moving. We got uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons will be coming out March 2023. Damn, that's a big push. Um, Snake Eyes, July 23rd. Oh, actually, that's getting bumped up. So Snake Eyes was supposed to come out in October. Mm -hmm. Jackass took their date. Snake Eyes is now a summer movie. Okay. So Paramount's not just pushing things forward. They're they're trying to strategize to make the most money. They're going ahead and, and, and making some things come out sooner. They also announced that a new Star Trek movie will be coming out June 2023. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of those people are coming back. No, it's a new... It's going to be a reboot. Because everybody's gone on to do bigger and better things since and, those weird-ass Star Trek movies. And um, Anton Yelkin's death really threw a wrench in everything because yeah. they're like, well, if we're going to bring back the Chris Pine crew, we have to address Yelkin's death. Yeah. And they're like, how do we how do we do that with Scotty? That's, it's, uh, that really fucked everything up. I think that more than anything fucked it all up for them. Um... So like um, like I did last week, I'm trying to lump everything into categories. So this is all part of the Hollywood business category of the news. Uh, China, they control what movies play in what theaters. This uh-huh. is, this is sort of a um, appreciate what we have here in our shitty country of America and yeah, yeah. the good old United States of shit mm-hmm. that we live in. Uh, at least we don't have this where the Chinese government they are forcing cinemas to play propaganda films yeah. uh, twice a week. Okay. So they're like these are movies that are uh, and they're pro like, China. Pro China. A lot of them are classics, obviously, but some of them are more recent. And any new movies that the Chinese government approves from their propaganda department. That's another thing. We talked about this a long maybe like a year ago. The China film department got mo- merged with the Chinese propaganda department. Mm-hmm. Like very publicly. Yeah. Like they're like, We're doing this. Like, okay, now we know what's going on. Uh, so they are forcing the theater exhibitors to show more propaganda films. Meanwhile, in India, 
they have a, uh, I should say had a appeal an appellate court for film censorship, right? Okay. So they have a, the government says what movies, you know, the censorship, that's why Bollywood is such a thing, so much dancing, there's mm-hmm. no sex, there's no nudity, none of that exists in Indian films. They really have a strong hold on, on what is said in Indian films. Which is so weird because if you go to their temples, they're just full of pictures of people fucking. Yes, they're all about the Kama Sutra, right? <laughs> uh, and also, it's, quote, a democracy, but then they have such a stranglehold on, on censorship in films. Um, well, don't they still have the caste system? Like the caste system? Yeah, case? 100%. Yeah, 100%. So they're still doing that shit. Um, so, the... Uh, Indian government eliminated this appeals court. Mm-hmm. So now if you submit a movie to the government and they're like, oh, no, you have to censor this and this is your rating and all that stuff. Um, if you want to appeal that, now you have to go through the actual Indian court system. Oh, Jesus. As opposed to this special court that they had set up. That sounds like a big fat pain in the ass. Exactly. It's designed to make you not want to appeal your yeah. shit. Um, so that sucks. Yeah. But... Let's flip it around. Let's talk about something cool. In Italy, they have had some of the oldest film censorship laws on the books, going back to 1914. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, goddamn, Italy has... They lit- literally invented our modern, like, understanding of fascism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? It's like they wrote the goddamn blueprint on it. Um, and a lot of and one of the components of fascism was controlling culture and 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 includes sh- not just controlling cinemas but shutting them down. So they've had um, a very strict censorship code in Italy for Italian films. Many movies like Glass Tango in Paris and Cannibal Holocaust have run afoul of these codes, and um, they have just just repealed that shit. Italian film. Official censorship will no longer be a thing, and they will adopt a um, MPAA style, like voluntary ratings, ratings board. Yeah. yeah, so they've actually gone a little more liberal. Good for them with their with their film. So uh, I just want to put that out there, put it in perspective where films are at in the world, how governments approach them, how our own government approaches it. Uh, it's not all perfect. No one has a perfect system. But I think we should be pretty happy where we're at. Know what I mean? Know yeah. what I'm saying? Uh-huh. At least in terms of ratings. Uh, it's not it's not great, but it's not bad. Um, Netflix secured a deal with Sony to have to be the home of Sony films, which includes stuff like Jumanji, the Jumanji movies, the, uh, the Spider-Man movies, right? Morbius, mm-hmm. Venom, et cetera, et cetera. That will all be on Netflix through 2026 for the next five years. Okay. Which also means Sony. Don't expect a... Sony Plus app. Yeah, no. Anytime soon. They uh choosing not to get into the streaming wars. Well, <clears throat> they got their money tied up in too many other things. I and mean, they're still Sony. Yeah. They are a video game company. They are an electronics company. They make audio equipment. They, I mean, the movie TV portion of their of their portfolio has to be so small yeah. compared to everything else, right? So they're like, do we need to get into the streaming game? Nah. We'll just license this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Taika Waititi. Talking about how Marvel is the first studio to take a chance on him in America. He's been trying to make American movies for a while. Marvel's the first one to be like, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Um, here's this quote. Every time I make a film, I come to L.A., they offer me a script that was basically the film I just made. Right? Mm-hmm. So, 
what we do in the shadows hunt for the wilderness people um what's the other one the uh all his movies are very different what jojo rabbit jojo rabbit well now jojo rabbit's part of his new over but his first like four movies are all very different from each other basically to summarize his long quote here he would make a movie it'd be a small hit He'd go to L.A., and they'd be like, oh, yeah, make a movie just like the one he made. Like, no, I want to do something different. So he'd go back to New Zealand, make another small hit, go back to L.A. Like, oh, yeah, make a movie just like, no, 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 no. So he'd keep making different movies, and finally Marvel was like, oh, this guy, he seems very flexible. His genre, he keeps changing things up. We can use this guy. Let's hire him for Thor. So uh, it, it, it worked to his advantage to, to keep trying to reinvent himself movie-wise. Um, but Thor was the first somewhere Marvel or Marvel was the first people like, yeah, we, we believe in you. We think you can do something. Um, so it's weird how Marvel on one hand, they make all these movies that are very samey. It feels very hammered down. Like we, like Edgar Wright walked away from Ant-Man. People keep walking away from projects. Um, Patty Jenkins walked away from, or just didn't agree to do something. Um, was it Captain Marvel? Maybe, uh, but then, on the other hand, they take chances on people like Taika Waititi and give him a shot to yeah. to bring his style of humor to Ragnarok. You know, again, maybe the theme of this episode is n- nothing's perfect. Yeah. It's and, all, and that got him that fucking Star Wars yeah, gig. Yeah, <laughs> man, I mean, yeah, he's For oh Mando. my god, come on! And then he now he's got a Star Wars movie. I think he got. And now he's doing Thor: Love and Thunder, and the and the titled movie is Love and Thunder. Come on, it's so cool. And, and you've seen the font they used for the Love and Thunder. It's like yeah. a fucking eighties rock and roll album. Yeah, it looks fucking awesome. <laughs> it looks so cool. Um, a little more Snyder cut stuff here. The writer of the original, not the original, um, but a cyborg writer, David F. Walker, who is for purposes of this story is a black man. Right? He's he's black. He talks about the controversial use of the word booyah mm-hmm. and that being Cyborg's catchphrase, booyah, right? And how Joss Whedon and, and uh, DC, Warner Brother higher-ups, essentially forced Ray Fisher to say booyah okay. for Joss Whedon cut. And he was like, I don't want to have a catchphrase. N- none of the other superheroes have a catchphrase. Why are you making the black guy have a catchphrase that says booyah, no. right? That feels racist. That feels fucked up. And they were like, stop, you know, stop being so ridiculous. Just say booyah. So he did it. It's in the movie. It's it's fun for the Teen Titans cartoon. For the kids. Te- for Teen Titans Go. Yeah. Oh, it's so hilarious from Teen Titans Go. He but, says booyah all the time, but he's a fucking idiot. So It's also a cartoon, yeah. right? Okay. Here is David F. Walker, who wrote for the comic book. He says, for the record, I had no problem with Luke Cage saying sweet Christmas. But every time I wrote Booyah for Cyborg, it crushed my soul. My objections fell upon deaf ears, and in the end, I sold out. Uh, hashtag, I stand with Ray Fisher. Uh, it's just interesting how, you know, the, uh, just one word. It can be so loaded in certain ways and in certain situations, just like you said. The cartoon. It could be, this is fun, This is, it works for this character. But for what Snyder was doing, and then what jo- Joss Whedon changed it to, I could see how Ray Fisher would be like, Booyah is betraying what we were trying to do with this yeah. character. And then again, no other, no no one else had a catchphrase. No. Uh, oh, this is, okay. Back in December, the CEO of uh the CEO of who exactly? This guy Jason Killar. He's the CEO of I guess 
the whole the HBO Max, AT&T, Time Warner conglomerate thing, whatever you want to call that whole shit. He's the guy who back in December was like, in 2021, we're putting out our movies in theaters and on the HBO Max at the exact same time. And then people got mad. Legendary, who's behind Godzilla vs. King Kong, they sued. Now, in hindsight, it turns out rightfully so, because the movie's a goddamn hit. Um, Denis Villanueva was like, this is very disappointing, because I feel like Dune is my greatest artistic achievement, and I want this to be in theaters. Christopher Nolan said... Uh, filmmakers went to bed thinking they were working for one of the best movie studios and woke up realizing they were working for one of the worst streaming services. That's that's yeah. a real, like, ouch, man, for Christopher Nolan to say that shit. Um, so now, here is Jason Kilar four months later. There's no doubt that it was a... that it was bumpy <laughs> back in December of last year. If I had a chance to do it again... I think it's very fair to say that we would have taken a couple more days to see if we could have had even more conversations than we were able to have. That that's a real hardcore it sounds walk like back. What he's saying is I jumped the gun, my bad. <clears throat> I, I should I, I should have talked to more people and found out that they would have been really pissed off because if I would have known that, we probably wouldn't have done this. We we would have at least thrown more money at the no. situation to get what I would have wanted. Yeah, he fucked up. Especially when Legendary Pictures straight up sued them and were like, fuck you. Fuck you. What about our money? We put all this money into it. Now you're just going to prop up your streaming service with it. Uh, which, by also all accounts, is working. Yeah. The um, Godzilla v. King Kong is one of the more streamed um, options lately of the last month. Yeah. It's the most streamed thing for HBO. Um, there's also some rumblings that the Snyder Cut is a bit of a dud for them in terms of uh, subscribers and viewership. Interesting. Um, and then on top of all this, so HBO Max, part of their thing is saying now that for the rest of 2021, they will have a new movie release for every month of the year, uh, with Mortal Kombat being the April choice. The October movie is Dune. However, uh, it's actually up in the air. There's no official release date for it on HBO Max. Is Dune actually coming out on the streaming service or will it be in theaters only? Uh, safe to say, by the time October rolls around, I mean, unless this B.1.1.7 like Brazil variant is here and and it truly, it's it's all breakthrough cases and, and it fucks us all up vaccine-wise, I fully expect to be seeing Dune in the theater. In yeah, October, definitely, 100%. Right? Um, and then by this point next year, like just theaters being open 100% back to normal, quote normal. It just feels weird saying back to normal. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? Back to what? Back to the way it was there's, before? There's no such thing as back to. It's only forward. Actually, there is no forward. There's only now. This is normal. What's happening now? There is no not is it, normal. Because it, that, Is this normal, though? To, to assume that what is happening now is not normal is to assume that there's another version of now that is normal. But there's only now. Welcome to eternity, Chris. Is it eternal? or is it It's the eternal now. Or is it finite? Because now is over. Because now is now then. It's a conveyor. But, but it's always now. It, now is always now. But the now becomes then. That's why now is eternal. As the future then becomes more sensitive now. Right. I and mean, until there's no more time. But when more it, space. But when is that? Is that? So it's finite. So it is finite. Perhaps. So, so it's not eternal. 
Because we're going to get to the end of the conveyor belt. Maybe. Eventually. The chocolate's going to run out. Perhaps. In theory. Theoretically. The- People hypothesize. Theoretically. I feel I hear something thumping. What's thumping? I have no idea. Are you shaking like a crack addict? Um, I have a whole section here called Hollywood is Trash. Kate it Winslet is. talks about how there are still closeted actors in Hollywood. She was talking to someone recently who uh, was looking for an American agent, and some of the some of these agents were telling them, "Hey, you know, you you are bisexual. Maybe you should keep that under wraps, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So, uh, 2021, that's still a fucking thing for people looking for work in Hollywood. Ain't Weird. that some bullshit? It's weird. Hollywood sucks, man. You know? It sucks because they're all like, we're so progressive. Look how awesome we are. But then it's like, no, no, no you guys are actually a bunch of white dudes and you're still trash. Just because you like donate to certain charities or whatever, you're still allowing all this other shit to happen. And it sucks. Uh, for example, Lynn manuel Miranda talks about um, casting for the movie In the Heights, mm-hmm. which has come out here soon, and how the initial go-arounds trying to make the movie happen, they're telling them how Latino stars don't, quote, test well internationally. And he's like, well, fuck you. What Latino stars are even trying to grow? How, what testing have you done? What are you talking about? Like, just make the goddamn movie with the right actors. And then he talks about how... Um, John Chu made Crazy Rich Asians and he was getting the same sort of pushback. People no. don't want to see movies with Asian people. Everybody loved it. It, it made like <laughs> $400 million worldwide. Um, and he just took the approach of, oh no, these people are stars. You idiots just don't know it yet. And mm. so I'm making this movie with stars and it's happening. And he did. He was right. Um, so Miranda was like, we just had to do the same thing within the Heights. We just had to cast the best people for these roles and know that we were making a movie with fucking actual stars. Um, we'll see how it does. It was supposed to come out last year. It was one of the ones that got pushed. Um, Scott Rudin is a producer in Hollywood who is getting the Harvey Weinstein treatment finally. Okay. <clears throat> but he's had it before to the point where, do you remember the movie from 1994, Swimming with Sharks? No. Swimming with Sharks is an indie film from 1994 starring Kevin Spacey as a monster Hollywood producer. It fits. Yeah, I great, say, he's great a, casting. Apparently he is. He's a piece so. of shit, so great casting. Uh, Benicio Del Toro has a very small role in it as an agent. A uh, very young, skinny Benicio Del Toro. It's like shocking. You're like, whoa, yeah. look at this guy. Um, and the, the the lead guy is, oh man, is this dude who is like, he just pops up and stuff. You're like, I recognize this. He's got this face. Um, but it's basically a movie about a young agent or young, no, an assistant to a producer who just gets pushed and pushed and pushed to the point where he snaps and he kidnaps the guy, ties him down, and uh, and uh, I don't want to give away what happens. People should just—it's okay. a—it's a really good movie, Swimming with Sharks. It's from the '90s, and the producer, the monster producer that Kevin Spacey plays, is based on Harvey Weinstein and Scott Rudin. Okay. Um, the one of the big differences, I mean, Weinstein got away with a lot because partially because he does have good taste and he does make some good movies and good hits and he makes people money. Rudin, in those terms, is like Weinstein times ten. He has great taste. He had makes the, the best movies. <laughs> he, he had the uh the galley version of No Country for Old Men. And I was like, I think the Coen brothers would like this fucking movie. Awards. <laughs> hit in the face with Oscars yeah. you know the movie is so damn good he has made some great great movies over the years but he's also been a monster a documented monster and I remember reading a profile about him like eight years ago that I was like 
how is this guy operating in Hollywood this way? One of the stories that sticks in my mind is about a, someone, a courier, who went to deliver um, a screenplay to Scott Rudin at his home. Scott Rudin opens the door. He answers the door himself. He's wearing a bathrobe, and he has a, a jizz in his Yo. beard from, from jacking off and jizzing in, in his that, own face and doesn't realize that's it. Gross. It's disgusting. That's why that's stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, another detail stuck in my head from that article this is again eight ten years ago. He would his assistants he would like throw things at them, but like in their general direction. So he'd throw a cell phone, but like he's mad at you, Drew. He would throw it at your feet. Yeah. So it'd be like, well, he threw the phone at me, but but not at me. Like it wasn't even coming close to hitting me. But he would do that a lot. Throw stuff at the wall, like five feet away from you. Um, and then he would quote fire you. Where then he would again. He's up. He's based in New York. You would go downstairs, go across the street to the Starbucks, and you sit there and wait for him to cool down. And then someone hit your up yourself. I'm like, okay, come back. So people would get quote soft fired all the time. Yeah. He he was tyrannical with his workers, but then once someone shows up from like a two four who he works with a lot, or um, any any of these other um, uh, people of other power. Then he turns on the charm. He's such a nice guy. So he's one of these dudes where like people are like, well, Scott Rudin's always nice to me. Yeah. I never see this monster, but he's a fucking dick bag. So another profile just came out against this guy. Um, in what where this is the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. The headline, everyone just knows he's an absolute monster, <laughs> is the is the quote. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Scott Rooting with this new article coming out, which then is just more insane details about how he's such a piece of shit, causes people PTSD. One guy is like, I, I'm, I'm sure my brother, part of the reason why my brother killed himself is because he worked for this guy and he and he just like wore him out. Yeah. A lot of people leave the industry, but then a lot of people put up with it because they know, yeah, well, I, um, if I come through this career path then I can go on to bigger and better things. I just have to put up with this shit for like a year or two. It's it's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. Um, but I definitely recommend people check out this article. Um, ooh, and this is another soul-crushing thing. Think about I love the soul-crushingness of Hollywood. The meat machine. All these artists go to Hollywood be like, I can make my art and make a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And then they get dumped in the grinder and they... They turn, the capitalists turn the handle, and all the meat just comes out. And then people are shocked. Like, what? It's an, a, a capitalist industry that grinds up its artists? I can't believe that shit. Um, Disney, their decision to put movies, specifically Pixar's Soul and Luca, mm-hmm. on Disney Plus without even that $30 gate. Yeah. Just, it, they, it's just on the streaming app. Um. This is a Twitter, who is this? Matt Baloney, quote, Twitter, just talked to a Pixar friend who says Luca and Soul moves to Disney Plus have been demoralizing for employees. Quote, forget theaters, we're not even good for an upcharge, end quote. Uh, so while it's great for people like us who already have Disney Plus access to get to see these movies, the people who work on those movies and don't get to see them be the hits that they could be, uh, it's tough. It's yeah, different. Sure. And um it, it's weird. I mean not weird. It's yeah, they're a huge corporation. They're looking at the X's and O's and they don't care about the actual people who worked on these things. And yeah, they're commercial movies, but they're still like it's pop art. It's still art, yes. Yeah. It's pop art, but it's still art. <clears throat> and then Pixar, known for really leaning into yeah. the art part of the pop art spectrum. 
um, it is a bummer for them to to not see that stuff uh, come out in theaters. I mean, it is in theaters, but people, especially if you have families, these things are meant for families. I have to say, well, that if I can I mean, save fifty dollars worth of tickets, I was about to say yes, they're in theaters, but because it's also on D plus, you've already seen it. Yes, so exactly. So am I going to go again? Um, there's this guy called Randall Emmett. And a Vulture.com article came out about how he is one of the um, architects of what is known as geezer teasers. Okay. You know how for the last 10, 15 years we've seen all these um, the originally direct-to-video, now direct-to-streaming movies starring Bruce Willis, John Travolta, Nick Cage, all these well, yeah, really and, cheap. And they're in the movie for like two minutes. Precisely. This but guy, their name's on the poster and so is their face. So this guy, Randall Emmett, uh, he has produced 110 movies that have grossed $1.2 billion worldwide and it consists almost entirely of these type of movies. Uh, going back to The Wicker Man in 2006, uh, that's in the Cage movie, Al Pacino's 88 Minutes in 2007, uh, Bruce Willis has a bunch of these movies. Steven Seagal has worked with him a few times. This guy has managed to put together... Uh, he he found a way to put together money for these little movies. And uh, he is now making his own movie called Wash Me in the River with Robert De Niro and John Malkovich. They're shooting it in Puerto Rico. It's his only second film. And uh, it, it's fucking crazy, man. And how much... I mean... Man, I wonder what his average budget is, because the that means on average his movies make about nine million dollars a piece. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can be like, my films have grossed one point two billion dollars. Wow, how many movies have you made? One hundred and thirty plus. I mean, one hundred thirty movies. <laughs> they we're talking budgets of one two million dollars, probably. I mean, that's profit, right? Yeah, it's, he is. That's profitable. In the books, uh, in terms of money, he has been a profitable, profitable producer. Mm-hmm. I would guess that his the average Rotten Tomato rating for his movies has to be in the 30s, Probably. maybe 20s. Yeah. Um, I have by accident seen some of these movies, uh, and none of them are good. <laughs> Gotti. Remember, have you seen that one? The John no. Travolta Gotti? No. That one's sitting at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's really fucking up his average. Yeah. Uh, his movies are bad, no. but he's been cranking them out. And meanwhile, Alondra Yodorowsky never can make Dune. You know, he, yep. he, there's people like artists who try to make movies. Steven Spielberg gets denied uh, money sometimes for movies. He's Steven Spielberg, but this guy, he's found his niche. Well, yeah, well, because he's like, I can make my money for my, my movie for a million and a half dollars. Well, in that case, here the, you go. Then that case, Robert De Niro's like, oh, right, I'm here. You got me. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good for three days. I'm, and the article goes on. It's a fascinating article that I recommend people find on Vulture.com. Details how working with Bruce Willis, they had him for three days because of delays on one day that that got cut down to two. But then, like something happened with Bruce Willis, where he's like, "Oh, guys, I have to leave a day early." So now they like his three days got cut down to one day. So they're like, "Okay, we got to rewrite all this shit to find out how we can get Bruce Willis make his character fit into this movie." Oh my god, what a constant shit show! Yeah. Um. Anyway, Hollywood's trash. Uh, speaking of which, there's this guy who is a, like a no-name actor. His name is Zachary Horowitz, 34 years old. Uh, headline, actor ran $227 million Hollywood Ponzi scheme. Fun! Fed saying, this is NBC News. He would, um, let's see, 
he had a a corporation, one in MM Capital LLC, that was all about distributing films to other platforms. Okay. So, what are the allegations? He provided promotional material to investors that claimed his company was made uh, safe investments because they would receive confirmation from... Um, distributors saying that we want your titles, we are going to purchase it prior to the movie being made. So investors would give him money, and then a Ponzi scheme from from there on out. He, he didn't have any deals whatsoever no. with HBO Max, Netflix. They weren't selling nothing, but he was just like taking their money. Uh, so he's busted. Very funny. He's going to go to jail for a long time. He's going to go to jail for a long time. Guys, be careful who you give your money to to make movies, uh, especially in Hollywood directly. They don't know what they're doing. Um... Godzilla's Kong director gets honest about toys spoiling the movie. It's been a few weeks now. We can talk about how, and they hint at it in the trailers. It's they sort of gave it away late in the game. Mecha Godzilla's in this movie, yeah, right. Um, but for people paying attention when they re- release toy stuff, which is always in advance of movies, yeah. they include all Everything. the characters. Yes, so there was a Mecha Godzilla toy tied to the movie promotion. So they're like, "Fuck, this got spoiled." Um, so then Warner Brothers apparently went to Adam Wingard and was like, well, listen, here's a toy. Put out some social media thing. Like, let's go ahead and promote it. So he just did what Warner Brothers said. Apparently, Adam Wingard's a little, he claims to be social media illiterate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't realize that he should have put up some sort of like spoiler warning or a page or something. So people were still trying to avoid that kind of thing. Um, so here's Wingard. He says, the toy stuff, it leaked over a year ago. It was almost two years ago when the toy stuff leaked. And that was really annoying because it was so early. Um, they wanted to keep uh, Mega Godzilla a secret. He says, Mega Godzilla is kind of the worst kept secret at this point. Um, and then he goes, there are people mad at me online because I posted a picture with the toy. With the toys in storage right now. You can buy that at Walmart. The Funko version of, it, of him is out. This is not a secret. Um, at the end of the day, I was asked specifically about Warner Brothers to post the picture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can't please everybody. Very funny how uh, the marketing stuff can really ruin a goddamn movie. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Fucking marketing. Um, I got one Star Wars story here. Okay. As we start wrapping the show up, Drew Chicago and Mark Hamill confirmed that George Lucas, before the original Star Wars, what we know now as A New Hope, before that movie played in theaters, he wanted to show Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, Looney Tunes, before. Because he wanted to really drive home the point. This shit's for kids. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't secure the rights to it. So that didn't happen. But that was always George Lucas's original intention. Interesting. So when people like argue about Star Wars online, remember... It's for kids. You argue about kids stuff. Mm-hmm. You're also going to argue about Powerpuff Girls. and uh, I mean, sometimes... I mean, there's a chance that the Powerpuff Girls uh, dystopian future is the Samurai Jack universe. Uh, yeah, you talk about that. Wow. <laughs> it's very funny. I like tying that stuff together. Um, all right, so I'm going to run through these headlines here. Naomi Watts. Did you ever see the movie Good Night, Mommy? No. Horror, psychological thriller. I know of it. Yep. I just didn't watch it's, it. It's from seven years ago, eight years ago. I think it's the last movie I've seen at the Regal Cinemas in Oviedo. Okay. Because it was playing there. I had to drive out there to go see it. 
Austrian film about a mom who comes home to her twin boys and she had some sort of surgery. So her face is all bandaged, completely bandaged. And so they so, don't believe she's mom. So the boys suspect she's not mom. They're doing an American remake in Naomi Watts. An Amazon remake, actually, in Naomi Watts will be. So that's an Amazon original. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. As opposed to an exclusive. Going back to that question. Um, Creed 3, to be directed by Michael B. Jordan. Sylvester Stallone confirmed via random Instagram comment reply. Just a comment. Okay. That Sylvester Stallone confirmed that Rocky will not be in Creed 3. Okay. Is he going to be dead? Perhaps. Will the movie start with uh, Donnie at, at Rocky's uh, grave? Yeah, yeah. He may be done. No. We may finally see. Oh, also, this comes on the heels of Rocky or uh, Sylvester Stone announcing he wants to do the Rocky prequel series yeah. and all that. So he's like, yeah, he's dead, but he's actually alive, you know? I mean, yeah, because now we've seen the past. Now we've seen the past. <laughs> now it's the past, so it's new. We can talk about the 60s and the sexual revolution. Um, Mark Romanek, director of One Hour Photo, uh-huh. and uh, original director of The Wolfman before getting fired, has a new movie. Did you ever see Never Let Me Go? His adaptation of the Japanese novel Never Let Me Go with Andrew Garfield, Carrie Mulligan, Kieran Knightley. It's about, um, it's like a much more serious minded version of the island essentially um, about uh, people being bred and raised to be organ donors for the rich yeah I don't think so it's a very 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 good movie okay never let me go it's from like 2007 it's his last 2010. movie it's his last film it's a long time ago to make it be between movies so he has one called Motherland coming soon um, that doesn't tell you anything. So let me go ahead and actually click on the articles. Well, the screenplay was written by Alex Garland, actually. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Another reason to give it a look. Um, so Motherland will be... Oh, and also Romanek almost made a Shining prequel called The Overlook Hotel. But then people, the producers weren't fans of his idea, which was actually going to be very much about um, the the massacring of the local natives in that area in order to clear out that land so they could build the hotel. The movie was going to end with the hotel being built on the ancient Indian burial ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, like, no, 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 we don't, we don't like that idea. <laughs> like the entire country of America. Exactly. That's why things are so <laughs> fucked up. All right. Motherland horror film from Lionsgate. Here we go. It deals with the family that has been haunted by an evil spirit for years. Their safety and surroundings come into question when one of their children questions if the evil is real. Sounds fun. Psychological. All right. So that's Motherland. Coming from Mark Romanek. I'm into it. Uh, he being a very successful music video director. Um, Angelina Jolie. One of the HBO movies coming out this year. Direct to HBO Max. Or Warner Brothers movies. Is this movie Those Who Wish Me Dead. Okay. It's Angelina Jolie. Uh, this premise, it sounds like two movies smashed into one, and I am into it. Uh, it's a uh, she will play a firefighter fighting a forest fire. Meanwhile, there's a teenage boy trying to who's hiding out from some deadly killers, so she has to save this boy from these killers mm, while fighting a fire time. at the same time. Um, coming from writer director Taylor Sheridan, he of Sicario, Hell or High Water, and Yellowstone. All right, yeah. 
So there we go. That's coming uh, very, very soon. It's at the, oh, God bless you, Ghost. Is that the March movie? May. May 14 will be in theaters and HBO Max. Um, Bill Murray said shooting, he has a small part. You know, all the surviving Ghostbusters, Harold Ramis being the only one who has passed. Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Eric's coming back, Ernie Hudson for Ghostbusters Life. He had a quote here about how hard it was, physically hard to shoot his part. He says about the director who is, um, it's Reitman's son, I think. Jason, Jason Reitman, if I have that right, or is it? Yeah, I think I have that right. He says here, I think he's really got something. It was hard. It was really hard. That's why I think it's going to be good. We were just in it for a little while, but it was physically painful. Wearing those packs is extremely uncomfortable. We had batteries the size of batteries. That's a weird quote. They now... Oh, okay. I see what he's saying. We had batteries the size of batteries. They now have batteries the size of earrings. It's still a really heavy thing to wear all the time. The special effects in this one are a lot of wind and dirt in your face. And there was a lot of going back down and getting back up. And I was like, what is this? What am I doing? These are like Bulgarian deadlifts or Russian kettlebells getting up and down with this thing on my back. It was very uncomfortable. Usually, when something has a very high misery quotient, something comes out of that and some quality is produced. If you can capture it and project it, it comes on the screen and it affects you. Um, so basically, it's like the Revenant argument. The Caprio ate dirt and like a, a, a bison liver for and, our entertainment. And it looks good. And Yeah, we're like, oh, he's suffering for us. Murray's saying we suffered to make this movie. It wasn't easy. Uh, so, so we think that's actually a good sign that they yeah. had us working hard to make the best Ghostbusters movie possible. So uh, hopefully, you know, Bill Murray not necessarily one to really blow smoke in terms of uh, the quality of a film. He's not going to go out there and be like, oh, yeah, Garfield was fucking great. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he knows it was shit. Yeah, he was like, no, listen, I did the first one because I saw it was written by Joe Cohen, and I thought it said Joe Cohen. And I was like, oh, the Cohen brothers were in this? Then I'll do this. And he, see, he admitted to his own mistake. And then it was like, I was, I showed up for one day of ADR. It's a piece of shit. I got paid. Um, Indiana Jones 5. Yeah. I have a, a little bit of news that can that actually made me be like, oh, okay, all right, this is someone I'm into. Um, Indiana Jones Five just got a co-star, and that would be Fleabag star and creator Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Okay. Yeah. So cool. All right. All right okay. Okay. And then this article does a thing where it's like, well, she was uh, L337 in Solo, so it's like, oh, look at that, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. So yeah, shut, shut up, internet. You stupid. I hate you, Internet. You fucking dumb. Um, So just to recap for everyone, James Mangold, director of Copland and Logan, is directing Indiana Jones 5. Steven Spielberg producing. Uh, Obviously, Ford coming back. And now Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Is it going to be... I wonder if it's going to be the death of... It's got to be. We (laughs) got to end this, right? Come on, please. Can we? Because we need a new actor. It could have been done. It should have been done with um, Crusade, right? All the way back in '89. I mean, yeah. The, the, the we, li- we didn't need Kingdom of the Christmas. No, Kingdom of the Christmas. Card. No, we should. That we, I mean, as as a society, we should wipe it from our collective memory. That made us all sad. We were all sad when that happened. Yeah. So we're done with that, guys. Final story: Jurassic Cogburn. I love the theme parks. I love the movie theme theme parks. Sony took that streaming money, mm-hmm. and we're like, we're not going to do a streaming app. We're doing a theme park. Okay. Yeah. So Jurassic Cogburn looks like we got to take a trip to Thailand. Uh. A lot of snakes over there. That's why. Yeah. That's my thing. I'm not worried. I'm more worried about the snakes than anything else. 
Um, but yeah, Thailand at the Amazon Falls. <laughs> Jesus Christ, a ton of snakes. Oh my God. Um, oh, Sony Pictures is setting up a theme park based on Columbia Pictures Studio. So it's going to be a 14 acre park and water park called Aquaverse. And they will have rides based on Ghostbusters, Jumanji, Bad Boys, Men in Black, and Hotel Transylvania. Okay. So there you go. Fun. So there you go. So we're going to go to Thailand. We're going yeah, to we're, no. we're get the snake vaccine so the snakes stay away from us. That's how That's vaccines kind of work, right? And then we're going to go to Bangkok and we're going to get some ladyboys. No, if and you, then we're going to go to if, the snake park. If you get the snake vaccine, then, then you'll be able to get on the snake 5G. I can get that snake 5G and I can know where all the snakes are. I, I can, I can get the snake sense. And you can listen to snake jazz. Snake jazz. That's the end of the episode. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Drew Sakagwe. Thank you, me. And you are welcome, listeners, for this week's episode. Patreon.com slash crispy. So sign up if you want to get thanked. And uh, that's it. We are over. This is done. Kill your masters. Love one another. WrestleMania, baby. It's canceled. <laughs> A PFT Media Production.